0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Clueless Capitalist where we help you discover interesting startups, interview founders and help you become less clueless with angel investing. My name is Razi.
1: And my name is Osman and welcome to The Clueless Capitalist.
0: In this episode we've got Faith from FS Law, a boutique corporate law firm in Singapore and they have been ranked among the top Singapore law firms for startups and emerging companies by Chambers. Faith has over 20 years of experience structuring, negotiating and documenting corporate and commercial deals and she's completed transactions with a combined value of over 30 billion dollars. So for this episode we've got Faith to share with us what are some of the legalities when it comes to investing in a startup in Singapore and I think this episode is especially necessary because I was just having a coffee with a friend last week and she was asking me Hey, Razi, what is a safe document? What is a care document? How do I invest? And what are the things that we need to look out for? So thank you for joining us and helping us shed some light on this state.
2: No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for having us.
0: One of the things we like to do before we go into the episode proper is to always ask, what is the origin story? So how did you get started with startups and helping them structure all of these and get the documentation right?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I've I've been running um, FS Law for about um, 10 years now and FS Law is really just my initials and then with the word law at the end of it, so it took me five minutes to think of the name of my firm. Um, So um, when I first came back to Singapore from Australia, I thought I'll hang up my shingle and see how I go. I was kind of fresh off the boat and um, I didn't know anyone. And I guess my origin story starts with a very kind venture capitalist. Um, so I actually started on the venture capitalist side of things, uh, rather than on the startup side of things, which is maybe uncommon for a small firm. Um, and this um, venture capitalist client was very kind and I did a lot of deals for them. I'd been a, a corporate lawyer for a long time before that, but um, you know, my, my real introduction to the startup space was acting for a venture capitalist.
0: You know, I, when I was looking at the law firm's name and it was FS Law, it didn't occur to me that it's, uh, it stands for your initials. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear. And then now that you have seen it from both sides, right, from the VC perspective and now also the uh, the startup perspective. So I think yeah. uh, this is going to be a very interesting conversation.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, Faith, just for everybody out there that's uh, watching this video, we hear these terms a lot. They're bandied around safe note, care note, care agreement, the convertible notes. Could you just give us a very quick overview as to, to what the key differences are, if if there are any, uh, are any interchangeable?
2: Yeah, sure. So I guess um, as a, a general comment, the safe and the care are both convertible notes. And convertible notes are kind of, you know, uh, a name for a broader category of, of these sorts of agreements. But the essential idea is it's a form of debt and it's a form of debt which is convertible into equity. So it has elements of equity and it has elements of debt. And you can imagine, um, you know, if that's really the fundamental thing between the care and the safe and convertible notes, there's a lot of room for customization. There's a lot of um, different types of terms you can have in these. So convertible notes, that's more of a a broader term, care and the safe. They're kind of a convertible note for a very particular type of situation. They tend to be for startups and the concept there is that they have terms which are a little bit more startup friendly. As the name suggests, you know, they've, they've chosen these, you know, acronyms to kind of convey the message that these are instruments which are safer or more caring from the startup's perspective but of course that means that maybe um it doesn't always give investors you know what they want in a convertible note so perhaps the best way to show that is you know to go through one of these cares or safes if, if you know that might help
1: Great. And uh, before we jump into a, a, an yeah, example, sure. care, care we also hear terms such as pre-series A, series A startup. And what do they mean exactly? And uh, is there a kind of a rule of thumb that people will typically talk about when they say, what stage are you at? Is it pre-series A? Is it series A? Is there a rule of thumb that you, you would typically go with?
2: Um, well, I guess it's, it's not so much a legal concept, so for lawyers we tend to be very precise, you know, what, what rights and obligations are there, um, but I guess, you know, from, from the perspective of someone who's kind of seen a number of these sorts of various fundraisings, um, it seems to me that a pre-series A round, or, or maybe a seed round, or an earlier round, um, might be one where you might see um, the founders putting in money, friends and family, or angel investors, um, that are really helping a business take its first steps. So it may be that you know the founders have a great concept, they may have been laboring over it for a little bit, but they really want some cash essentially to put towards it to better, ensure that the idea is a good one, uh, perhaps to do a bit of market research or product development, or perhaps to just fund some part of their salary um, so that they can keep going with developing the business before it's it's revenue positive um a series a is as the name suggests um, something that you might see after a pre series a and that's where there's a little bit more meat on the business and you know you might be looking to fund the business with um, some form of a track record and you might be looking to take next steps so it's it's difficult to say what the next steps are it really depends on the business but you know you're certainly sort of um, you've got a proven concept perhaps you've got some customers already I think these days, you know, you'd want to be kind of uh, having a degree of revenues as well to be able to show your potential investors. Um, And in that Series A round, you might see participation by venture capitalists and more um, institutional investors rather than angel investors and friends and family. Does that kind of make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, really, when when angel investors are getting involved, it would be safe to say that Pardon phone, but it, you'd be using a safe note, um, yes, or a, or a care agreement, and then if uh, the big boys get in, the venture capital firms they're typically not going to use those types of instruments. Is that is that fair to them?
2: Um, g- generally, although you know, I've seen sort of you know venture capitalists um, perhaps playing at the earlier stages yeah. or wanting to do a quick deal um, in yeah. anticipation of Series A. And, you know, they'll use a safe as well or they they might use a care as well.
1: Got it. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, one of the things which uh, was brought up to me when we were talking about safe notes and care notes is how straightforward they are and how quick they they can be executed. Just in comparison for, for the listeners, I've seen equity like uh, price rounds with 300 pages of documentation. Um, yeah and yeah. a safe note or a care note is usually like three or four pages of of documentation so the name suggests it's safe and it's care it's actually pretty with safe it's a simple agreement for future equity and for care it's a, a convertible agreement regarding equity i think, um, think. <laughs> yes yeah. and uh I'm, I'm, both of them are meant to deal with being very simple, straightforward and, and not complicate things too much at the early stage.
2: Yes, I I think I think that's right. Although I mean, the lack of some words can be good for investors or bad for investors. But they're kind of, um, I I guess, you know, there are a few um, major terms in the care and or safe, which kind of makes it a little bit quicker. So I think, you know, one of them is essentially uh, pricing it by reference to the next round. And um, so then you're cutting out a lot of that negotiation between investor and the startup about valuation because you're saying, well, you know, we need we know we're going to need a lot more money later on. And we know that this particular investor is not going to be putting in that large amount of money. And, um, you know, they're kind of interested, but either they they don't have money or they they just don't do that ticket size. Um, I want a, a quick deal where I'm putting in a smaller amount of money and, you know, when it's converting into equity, well, I'll, I'll leave that to the the larger ticket investor to take a closer look at things and to come to a valuation and I'll trust that process um, to give me my valuation for my shares. Yeah. Does that sort of make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And yes. um, I mean, in my experience, having worked on some of these agreements in the past, I've seen. Uh, I've seen people present like uh, a safe note that they've pulled down from the Y Combinator website, and uh, and then there's uh, other agreements that I've seen. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about the vema agreement, which is a framework that yep. I think it's Singapore Law Society or is it the Venture Capital Society of Singapore? They they've created a framework which is pretty standard now, and you can access that type of information online as well. Um, so we're going to talk specifically around the VEMA agreement and the terminology around the VEMA agreement.
2: Sounds um, good, sounds good. Yeah, um, it's actually, okay, I, I should, um, I, we were on the VEMA 2.0 working group, so um, I better uh, correct you slightly, otherwise I'll be in trouble with the Singapore <laughs> Academy of Law, not the Law Society. The Law Society did comment on it and it was like, um, a multi-month. It was maybe even a multi-year project where they got wow, a whole lot okay. of international firms, uh, big Singapore law firms, um, boutique firms like ours, venture capitalists like Ek, um, and um, and and startup representatives as well. And there was a long process of commenting on these agreements, you know. And I I suspect um, you know Singapore government's behind this essentially Singapore Academy of Law. It's part of a, a broader project to promote Singapore law, and um, Singapore as a as an e- you know Singapore is a, a good place to um, to grow your startups.
0: Okay, just curious to know like when we look at the Vima documents, are they applicable for all of the VC financing deals, or only for pre Series A and C rounds?
2: Well, um, Viva has, um, you know, helpfully um, divided it onto their web- on their website. Um, there's a suite for pre-series A, and then there's a suite for Series A. Uh, but you know, you can kind of customize these documents for both. It really does depend on how far your, you know, your pre-series A wants to go in terms of the um, setting the framework for how yeah. um, the startup's going to be governed and and you know doing things like that so if you're an ambitious startup and you're at pre-series A but you say I want to look ahead what does it look like and I want everyone to agree to that now well you know go for your life have a look at the series A dots okay
0: that is
1: great um, and and just for everybody watching we've got the, the link to the model agreements from the VEMA framework uh, on the on the link right uh, on the yep. ticker going below just in in terms of the general framework of of the VEMA agreement uh, the reason why i think it's really important that we talk about the framework itself is because when people start to share other documentation there are items which are there or not there that should be there and uh, and using a, a standard agreement and a framework from from a, a reference point um for VEMA makes it very easy to um to validate that the documents um Uh, are comprehensive and they're in in alignment with what I think uh, at least everyone's got a common baseline to work from for an agreement, so I think that's fair. I think maybe we should go through uh, a sample care agreement.
2: Ah, here we are. Okay, so this is the care. For those who've used the SAFE, um, you might um, recognize some of these concepts uh, but, um, you know, you'll, you'll see that the style is a little different to the safe. The safe is more in an American style. Um, this is more, you know, English, Singaporean, Australian, Canadian style. It's more a plain English style. Um, sorry, my copy shows a markup because there was a care version number one, which was for the Beamer 1.0 suite. And this just shows changes in VIMA 2.0. You know, there's some helpful explanatory notes. You know, if you want a good overview of care, Um, and then we launch straight into the care itself. You know, of course, you've got here the the two parties, you've got the investor who is putting money in and the company that's receiving the money. Um, You have a few recitals here to, you know, give everyone some background. Of course, one of the most important things is how much is the investor going to put in, and that's the consideration. In consideration for the amount that the investor puts in the company, undertakes all of the obligations in this care. So um, the care is quite helpful in that it bunches up together some of the key terms and, well, it's it's trying to be helpful at least in in that it says, well, you know, if all you want to do is adopt the care and you want to know, well, what I you need to customize? Well, um, come up with a discount rate, um, valuation cap, maturity date, you know, the, these, these particular things they're saying, please focus on them and ensure you fill this up but i guess to work out what these things are um, it helps to read the rest of the agreement so um, maybe what we'll do is let's you know scroll through let's keep doing our page turn of this care to um, understand what what these terms mean in clause 2.1 that's the one of the distinguishing features of the care and the safe um, from other convertible notes and that's the concept that this care is going to convert if there is an equity financing, um, an equity financing. And you know that's we were talking about that the key thing about the care being cutting through that valuation conversation by saying, well, you, you get the number of shares and dependent on the valuation of the company that this investor with for a larger ticket will be putting on the company. And so it converts in an equity financing and the care automatically converts into a number of preference shares. And there are two ways of calculating that number of preference shares. One is we take the consideration, which remember is the amount of money that the investor is putting in and divide it by the discount price. Okay, and let's see. We've got here this concept of a discount rate. So, if you want to do this, this the professional way, you know, have uh, have your definitions right next to uh, right next to you when you're reading the the provision. Okay, so discount price, and is the lowest price per share in the equity financing supplied by the discount rate. So remember this discount rate here. So I think essentially what we're saying is one way of calculating the number of shares you're going to get. Is to ask yourself what's the investor paying in the equity financing and make it the lowest price per share that they're paying and then in addition to that give me a discount rate so if the deal between the investor and the company is well there's no discount rate you just get the price that the investor pays in the larger fund rate well then your discount rate is i think it would be one is that right multiplied by one <laughs> yeah. You just have to kind of watch the maths there, um, yeah. and and otherwise, if you're getting a discount, well, make it lower. You know, maybe make it eighty percent if you can. Usually, it a I've
0: discount. been seeing a, a discount rate of about twenty percent.
2: Okay, I think that's a mistake. I suspect I think people mean I'm getting a discount of twenty percent, but when you when you track through the maths. You really should be putting eighty percent in eighty, there. Yeah. yeah, 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 so I, okay. I think
1: in in colloquial terms, like when we're talking, we talk about it as oh, I'm going to get a twenty percent discount, but on the yeah. care agreement, it should be put down as um eighty percent, so that when you do the maths, it's like um one dollar times point eight and then and That's then it's right, then you get your discount value um. So just for the uh, uh, listeners as well and the people watching, the reason why there is a discount is because as an angel investor, you're coming in early, you're giving giving the investor some money upfront very early um, and the risk is a lot higher for you as an angel investor. The venture capital firm coming in, let's say two years down the line, they've mitigated a lot of the risk the startup has anyway. And if you were to come in at the same price as the VC, what's your reward for giving your money at a higher risk? And there isn't in, unless you get a discount. So um, uh, the idea of a discount is to reward you as an angel investor on the fact that you have put more money up front at risk than somebody coming in later on. Um, all, you know, and that's usually the reason why you would have your discount rate applied here.
2: Yes, that's a very good point yep okay and the care gives you um the option for going one better than that So it says you know you could get shares based on some discount to whatever the um, investor is paying or let's talk to a valuation cap and that you know again we've got consideration here so dollars divided by the care price and if we go to our definitions here care price is the price per share equal to the valuation cap divided by the company capitalization. So, you know, you're looking there and I think that is where at the front you've got a valuation cap here. You fill that in and that works in clause 2.1. And if you're kind of, you know, you want to be absolutely sure, make sure you've got your definitions there as well to, to figure that out.
1: So just okay. to explain to to the viewers as yeah. well, with regards to a valuation cap, um, again, it, it's a concept of being rewarded for putting in money earlier than other people. The valuation cap is something like, let's say it's a million dollars. So the company in the future, um, if it's worth a million dollars, then that's the price that you will come in at um, to convert your consideration amount into into shares, and a, and a venture capital firm, two years down the line, might be coming in and saying, look, the company's worth $2 million. So with the valuation cap, it means that because I have given my money in early to the founder, even though the venture capital companies paying shares at a valuation of 2 million, your valuation cap is one million, therefore you're getting double the amount of shares compared for each dollar that you're putting in, compared to a a venture capital who's coming in at a lower risk uh, two years later. That's the concept of a valuation cap, is to kind of reward the founder as well, um, uh, for their earlier consideration. Is that right,
2: Faith? Uh, yeah, Yes, I think generally that that's correct. I'm not so sure for the founders there, there may be other instruments where, you know, they're rewarded, but this one certainly, you know, the idea is to reward the investor for investing early, as you say, and taking on that additional risk. So there are really two ways of looking at it. And, um, you know, this is one where I think the investor in the company might spend a bit of time thinking about it and talking about it and customizing it, you know, um, do you go for both ways of calculating the number of shares the investor is going to get so do you go for just one and this one goes for both and says uh i'll take the largest number of shares thank you very much
0: <laughs> yeah
2: okay um so that's 2.1 2.2 um talks about a liquidity event this kind of answers the question what happens if you know when that equity financing actually occurs and this answers the question, well, what what happens if something else happens before uh, equity financing? Because it may be that um, there's a change of control in the company and and equity financing is no longer going to be um, all that relevant. So again, we go back to the definitions, you'll see liquidity event here means a change of control, an IPO or an ICO. I think let's focus on a change of control. I think that's more likely, although even then it's really, it's quite unlikely for a a startup, but just in case, you know, if somebody comes and buys more than 50% of the shares, so that's what A means, or if there's some sort of, you know, merger of the company with another company, or if the company basically sells all of its assets and sells off its in that case, there's not going to be a need for a equity financing anymore. And in that case, the investor should get something out of it as well. And care says, and this is the default position, but of course, you know, you can customize this, the investor will receive a portion of the event proceeds. So and every time you see these capitalized turns, you know it's in the definition section. And you can go to events proceeds, but you, you can imagine it's it's you know talking about, well, if if all the shares are being bought, how much is the acquirer paying for it? That's the event proceeds there. They'll receive a portion of the event proceeds and then the question is, how shall we calculate that? Well, the care gives you the option of specifying a multiple. So it may be that some investors will say, well, in that situation, um, I want a hard multiple given how much I put in okay maybe i want two times um, the amount that i put in or 1.5 times or three times so this gives you the option of specifying some multiple or um it says let's do a calculation of the number of shares i would have gotten and you know then you know pretend i were a shareholder at the time of this liquidity event how much do the shareholders get and i want that proportionate amount so then that of course um you know begs the question well how many shares would you have if you were a shareholder? Because actually you're not. <laughs> and it says, do that calculation again and ask yourself, well, consideration divided by the liquidity price. Liquidity price, you can see the, you know, the definitions get a good work out here.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: Liquidity price is the fair market value of the ordinary shares, determined by reference to the purchase price payable in connection with such liquidity event. And then multiply it by the discount rate. So remember oh, okay. that discount rate concept when we were saying, well, we get a 20% discount from an equity financing. This says, well, hang on, if you're selling the um, you're selling the company, and we're going to calculate how much I get, pretending I'm a shareholder, um, I want that discount rate too. Yeah, um, but you can see all of this is, you know, customizable. Um, and perhaps actually one of one of the great things about the care, you know if you're using that and you're you're telling your counterparty you're using it, you know after you've customized it, they can very quickly do a compare, an electronic compare against the standard care. And um, at least both sides will just come to an understanding of how it varies from the care pretty quickly. Does that kind of make sense? Or all, all of this is customizable, of course.
1: Yeah. No, it, it does make sense.
0: I was going to ask will yeah. both these options be present in a care document or is it going to be either or? If you look at the option here, the consideration multiplied by the multiple. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Are they both there or is it so already? We're, we're, we're
2: just going through the standard the care now that's available on the SVCA website. Um, and this provides for the greater off. So, you know, if you pick a multiple, then, you know, you, you do both calculations and you figure out, well, which is going to give me more money. Uh, and if that's not what the investor and the company intends, then you you need to change it.
0: Understood. Yeah. There's only one option. Um, they don't get rid of the equal to or the greater or and just say this is the only option that's available.
2: Yes, you can mm-hmm. certainly do that. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, was th- I was just going to say, usually, the point that you brought out, Faith, about being able to do an electronic compare between standard document and what's been changed, it would also give you an idea of whoever's made the changes, what their intent is as well. Yes. Um, because if they've taken out something, then they obviously have, they're either trying to limit their downside or limit your upside and, and why would they want to do that? So you can start to interpret the intent from what's been put in or taken out from the document
2: yeah that's right and and actually just to manage expectations as well i think um generally the care has more bells and whistles and when you compare that to the safe um the safe has has fewer of these bells and whistles um and just because you're getting rid of some of these bells and whistles doesn't mean that someone's trying to cheat you or trying to uh, give you a bad deal it's just i suspect that with care you know the lawyers thought well i've seen it done this way i've seen it done that way let's put in all of this language and you know um, if another lawyer were looking at it they'll know to take it out and they're not going to get upset they're not going to feel you know offended because things have been taken out
1: yeah i mean um yeah it does i had one instance where i'd noticed that a founder had different valuations for his company and obviously that that's a red flag in itself but what i insisted on from their y combinator note they didn't have an mfn clause in there and and i insisted on putting that in and um uh, and it was only because i'd seen the mfn clause in in the vima agreement that i thought this is quite quite good but maybe you could just give a quick explanation as to, to to what the mfn Policies and what it, what it brings to the investor and to the founder?
2: Yeah, um, I think I quite like the MFN clause as well. I think if I were an investor, um, especially if I'm really not putting in a whole lot of money and I, I don't want to, you know, the founder is busy and I want the founder to be busy building the business um, rather than negotiating with a whole lot of smaller investors. So um, this essentially um, provides two things. One, it, it says the company represents to the investor that actually I've given you what you know I provided to others as well, because then I guess you know you might take some comfort that hey, you know, others are getting the same deal, and um, you know I I don't want to rock the boat too much. I know I'm not putting in that much money, okay. And the second thing it does is that it says. If the, company, if the company, if the startup goes and amends things or issues further care documents, it's going to give the investor written notice and give the investor that the documentation, the additional documentation and um, the investor may then make a determination and it may say, you know, actually I like the other care document, you know, and um, please can I have that apply for my um, situation. And you can imagine that you know startups will say, okay, um, you know I might want to look at this course a little bit more to ensure that maybe you'll get the same terms if you're investing around the same amount of money because you know often what happens is that you might have even in a care round or a safe round, you might have a lead investor and the lead investor is putting in a lot more money than others and they may be getting better terms, they may be getting different types of protections and um, that's it's not always realistic to expect the same type of protections um but you can imagine that you know this is quite useful with a few tweaks from the startups perspective to kind of you know cut through that negotiation to build a bit of trust with your smaller investors and um you know from the investors perspective again you know just saving time that makes sense
0: yeah
1: yeah it does i mean and, and the reason why this particular founder didn't have an issue with it was because you know from their perspective if they were giving out the story they'd given me was yeah we're going to grow we're going to be a lot more valuable so it's unlikely that they're going to be giving more favorable terms to a future investor so again for me as an as an investor i can i can validate what their story is if they're really don't want to do the MFN clause. It, for me as an investor, it kind of tells me that, okay, maybe the upside story that the founder is sharing with me is not as, as solid as they think. Um, yeah. Yeah. But generally speaking, it, it's it's just a, I think it's a good all-round clause to kind of develop trust and to cut out a lot of this uh, uncertainty over, over well if I put in money today and tomorrow they need to give better terms to someone else am I losing out well if I've got this clause in I don't need to worry about losing out um, to future investors I can at least be in on on the same terms if they're favorable and I I think maybe you mentioned this to me as well this is a one-time only thing it's not something that's in perpetuity so it's not like they've issued a new new round and then you can go on to that new term sheet and then a future round and you can go on to onto that you can only execute this clause once is that right um well
2: this this kind of applies prior to the termination of this care and if you remember if you have any you know the correct type of equity financing and you convert well this care is supposed to terminate um. So it only applies until, you know, up to that equity financing that, that everyone's Great. looking forward to and looking to convert, you know, at that time.
1: Great. So no, that it, it shouldn't
2: sense. apply. Yeah. And, and again, I think um, as an investor, don't be offended if the um, startup says, yeah, okay, but I, I might need my lawyer to put in, you know, a few more qualifications here because you can see from the startup's point of view, yeah. they don't want to promise too much especially if, if they've got a, a large lead investor or there may be a large lead, in, lead investor later on.
1: Yeah.
0: Talking about the maturity cap, so the maturity cap is the valuation, right?
2: Maturity cap is no longer used. I think maybe now they call it valuation cap. Is that what okay. we mean?
0: Yeah, I, I saw in your document that the version that you have is a valuation cap. The word uh, yeah. maturity cap has been canceled.
2: I think VIMA 2.0, you can imagine, you know, you had a whole bunch of lawyers there. Somebody must have said, why don't we call it valuation cap instead? (laughs) (laughs) But you can see it it kind of um, plays the same role.
0: (laughs) What is a reasonable maturity date?
2: Oh, okay. Now maturity date is um, a concept which you won't find in the safe. And I think the safe essentially assumes this is going to be quick we know and the investors are comfortable that there will have to be a larger fundraising and it's going to convert in that way, right? So, but the care says, um, again, you know, having a few more bells and whistles, the care says, oh, what if you have an investor who is worried about the equity financing not happening, right? So when you're thinking about, okay, should I, one, should I have a maturity date at all? Okay, take into account the fact that You know, just because it's not in there doesn't mean you should be offended because the safe doesn't have it. And then two, think about, well, uh, what sort of runway would be reasonable to give the founder to go raise the amount of money that we're expecting the founder to raise. Okay. Maybe think about it that way. And then the other thing you might do is think about, well, what happens on a maturity date and the default position in care is if there is you know again if, if the care doesn't terminate which means if there is an equity financing before the maturity date on or after that date the investor may elect to automatically convert into ordinary shares right and the ordinary shares again you look at the, the considerations so the amount of money you put in divided by the care price and i think we saw that the care price i think uses the valuation cap. That sort
0: of makes sense. It it does. So then there's a question, maybe more for Osman. So if I am, let's say I'm an angel investor and I came in at a particular valuation cap with a maturity date and uh, the startup wasn't able to raise any further funds and the uh, maturity date happens and I get issued the shares. Did I feel disappointed as an angel investor?
1: Uh, It depends on what your objective is, really, I think. Um, I don't think it's a failure until the company goes bankrupt because you're you're now a shareholder in a viable company. It's mm-hmm. not a complete loss. Now obviously most angel investors, what they're looking for is like a 10, 20, 30, 50, 100x return. Um, yeah. and maybe that hasn't been realized, but you're still coming in. the time frame for that equity, Financing has uh, has expired, the maturity date has kicked in. You then convert at the valuation cap at a discount, right? So the company is still valued at a particular amount, and so long as the company is valued higher than what you've your valuation cap is, then you you've at least made, let's say it's of like a discount of twenty percent or eighty if it's on the as it's written you've still made 20% uh, upside on your investment, right? So it's not, I wouldn't call it a failure. It's only a failure if you really had an expectation of making a 10X or a 20X. And this is not always the case. You never, uh, I wouldn't say that every investment an angel investor is gonna make is gonna gonna return those types of returns. So you shouldn't expect it anyway. and the idea of a care note or a safe agreement is that it at least gives you some upside. And in this case with a discount rate and the conversion you should have some upside and and then you're a shareholder and you can if you want, you've got the options then to do what you need to do as a as a shareholder. Either participate fully within the organization um, try and do a secondary sale of your shares to somebody who's more interested. Ask the company if they want to buy back your shares. All those options are then available to you. I don't see it as a failure. The only time it's a real failure is if a company goes bust and and, and unfortunately that's the risk that you take as an angel investor. There is always a high high risk that some of these companies can fail. Yeah. Another question
0: is that So the care document will terminate at which stage is this a series b series a
2: oh um well it terminates on this equity financing um you know it it terminates in in various situations but the the one that everyone's looking forward to is the equity financing right so um okay we, we can go to the termination clause itself but i think it essentially says if you get your money back uh here here we are we are going to automatically terminate if either you get shares or um you get your money back and then you know we're done and dusted um you know th- this is this document is really about either getting you shares or or getting you money does that have sense
0: yes it does
2: yeah so it can kind of be used you know theoretically it can be used at, at any stage Um, but it tends to be used at an earlier stage of the business when you're looking for a quick way to to put money in um, and you're trying to reassure the founder that it's not debt it has fewer debt-like characteristics than other convertible notes so this one for example in other convertible notes um, you might expect to see a repayment obligation when the company must pay cash and for a startup you know, they might balk at that because, well, that's a, you know, quick way to insolvency if things haven't quite gone to plan. <laughs> and, um, you know, this the, the, this default position, I, I guess, is, is one option instead. So it, it says to the investor, well, you have an option to become a shareholder instead, because this document is really quite short. It doesn't guarantee a whole lot of rights and obligations. Um, it doesn't give the investor a whole lot of rights. And the investor might say, well, you know, after two years, I think I'd rather be a shareholder and at least have some shareholder rights. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, it does. In one of the startups okay. that I've uh, invested in at now, the maturity date has gone past and I have now gotten shares.
2: Okay. okay.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, good. Good. Okay. <laughs> so you used to Congratulations, the care, we should say, right?
0: Yeah. Well, what Osman is, is saying is now a shareholder of a viable business.
2: Good. Yes. Well, yeah, I think that's the main thing. Dissolution <laughs> event, which is, you know, a sad event that's kind of as a winding up, you know, in which case, um, again, the investigates a portion of the event proceeds from that winding up.
1: Yeah. And I, I think to... it's definitely w- worthwhile covering this because we're, as investors, we're always thinking about upside and as a founder, you're always talking about the upside. We very rarely talk about what happens if things don't go well. But yeah, yeah. let's look at the dissolution event and see what rights we have as an investor.
2: Yep. Okay. So um, in a dissolution event, let, let's pull up our definitions again, just to give everyone an idea of what dissolution events are a voluntary termination of operations. So an assignment for the benefit of the company's creditors, that means creditors are taking all the cash or any other liquidation, disillusion or winding up. And and to be fair, I guess, you know, sometimes it can be a happy winding up, you know, it may be a way in which they are selling their assets or some of this may be used as a restructuring mechanism. Um, But oftentimes I think in the startup space, these things tend to be sad events. So kind of in a sad event, what happens? In a sad event, you get your money back, if there's money to be had. Um, you treat it like a a creditor. So you, you get your consideration back, which is the amount of money that you put in. So you're treated like a debt holder in that event. Does that sort of make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, so basically, Um, Best case scenario if the company's wound up is if there's any money left uh, left over then you have rights to get your money back.
2: Yeah, and uh, actually to be fair you're you're treated as a creditor. You know how we talked about the the convertible note having debt and equity characteristics? Um, Mm -hmm. This is where the debt characteristics comes out, which means you should get paid. In fact, this is the next clause. It tells us when you get paid. Well, it says um, you are junior to other creditors. So um, I guess if, if you know a bank has lent the startup money or if suppliers have supplied goods and services, they are creditors. So you're junior to that. So pay them first. And then you're on par with all the other cares and any preference shareholders. And you are senior to ordinary shareholders. So that means that you're going to get paid after other creditors and, you know, pari-passu with other shareholders and preference shareholders, Um, but you're going to get paid before the ordinary shareholders. So the company has to pay you first before they pay the holders of ordinary shares.
1: Dave, I'm going to stop you there as well. I'm going to say pari-passu. What does that mean?
2: okay (laughs) um that's sort of saying well um if you have uh let's say you have a million dollars worth of cares out there and in the dissolution they're supposed to pay a million dollars but they only have um five hundred thousand dollars left to pay you know all of you well it's going to you're going to get a proportionate amount of that so you can get half your money back and got it Makes sense. You're on par with with the other care holders and preference shareholders.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that term bandied around. I was too afraid to ask.
2: <laughs> Actually, I hope I've got that right. <laughs> okay. So, that's what happens at a dissolution. Um, Let's see, I guess, you know, you've got some information rights, you know, they're not a a lead investor will get fuller information rights. And, you know, if you're you're not putting in a lot of money, maybe be fair and and sort of, you know, settle for this. Um, There's some representations and warranties, you know, that actually you can sign this agreement and you can abide by its terms. And um, and then there are actually, you can see um, BEMA 2.0 has bolstered up the representations and warranties that the company might give. So when you're at really at the earlier stages, it's highly unlikely if you're not putting in a whole lot of money, you're, you're going to be investing in negotiating a full set of representations and warranties. Um, as you can see, the default here is quite a light set of representations and warranties. Um, and this focuses on the shares that you're going to get um, on conversion of your care. And that they're going to do good things with your money that you're putting in, um, in accordance with the business plan or the budget, which they've actually given you. So they're going to do what they said they will do. And um, there is a focus here as well on no legal action or proceedings or arbitration. And that's you know something you might ask for and due diligence and you get confirmation of it in these representations and warranties sorry it kind of just got away from me and this one here focuses on agreements with basically related parties and you know investors might ask that question are there any agreements with related parties and this gives you a representation here which is a little bit more precise about what we mean by related party transactions and then it also has the company promising not to redeem or repurchase shares, or um, issuing any preference shares, other than pursuant to an equity fundraising. And the the concept here is, I, I guess it's it's another way of saying you're going to use the money for what you said you use it for, which is to grow the business in accordance with the business plan. You're not going to go and return capital to your shareholders. You're not gonna you're not going to go and use that money to pay off your current shareholders, like some sort of Ponzi scheme. Does that kind of make sense?
1: No, it does. And uh, and I have to admit, I, I was looking at those. It didn't make sense until you just explained it right now. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I'm glad that we've covered that one off. The the other question I have is with regards to if we were to look at the maturity date and and let's yeah. say the maturity date has expired. Now, is it by default that the conversion happens immediately, or g- can you negotiate to say, "Look, I want to give you more time"? To, oh, wh- uh, yeah. Is it a hard and fast? Like, uh, if that maturity date expires and, and we've gone past, do you have yep. to convert to uh, to shares?
2: You don't have to convert if you just adopt the the Vima Care position. There's that word there. The investor may okay. elect. Okay, so the investor has a choice to obtain shares. Yeah, and I think sometimes you might see, it Maybe investors are putting in more money might say, oh, well, okay, I want that choice, but actually I want the best preference shares you've got out there. Um, I don't want ordinary shares and I want, you know, I want it at a particular price because, well, you know, you really should have gone off and done that equity financing instead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. But the other question I have as well is when you sign this agreement and I was talking to a founder who had an angel investor who had signed the agreement and then went home to his wife and his wife scolded him and said, (laughs) you know, you should have spoken to me about this. Now. He then sheepishly came back to the founder and said, by the way, my wife's really not happy about this. And okay. uh, well, what happens in those circumstances? Now, the founder in this case oh. actually gave him money back. <laughs> he yeah. gave him money back and canceled yeah. the agreement. But well, what's the general rule of thumb in terms of those scenarios where oh, you, you've made okay. a commitment, and you can't fulfill it?
2: Well, um, that was very good of the, the founder to give the money back. Um, but from a legal perspective you know there is no outlaws for my wife is happy with me um um, yeah so it's it was really in the gift of the of the company to do that right
1: okay and uh, and we've we've had this discussion um separately i think me and rasi when when you sign the agreement as an investor what type of period do you have to actually fulfill on on the investment? Let's say you're, you're going to put 10,000 in. How long reasonably is it expected that you give that 10,000 to the company?
2: This agreement and SAFE also assumes that you do it simultaneously. The moment you um, sign the care, um, you should have put the money in. So this recital here um, essentially says, hey, um, thank you for putting your money in. Uh, as a result of you putting the money in, we are issuing you these rights in this care.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. So it, it just assumes okay. it happens simultaneously, but I guess in practice, you know, it's really up to the company and the investor. You know, if it's months away, I think the company might get a little upset.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, we've had instances where we've seen angels come in and they've signed a B be agreement and haven't fulfilled oh. on, on their obligation, but yeah. then it's, it's held up future fundraising issues as well. Like, oh, uh, gosh. For, for example, like a, a VC yeah. would say, well, I'm only going to put money in until you can show me that you've got uh, all of your other commitments, not just soft commitments. I want to yeah. see that money in the bank. And, yeah. it, and it creates a real mess for the founder if uh, one angel investor decides that, you know what, uh, I, I made this agreement, but uh, I'm not going to fulfill until I've got my wife's approval and she's going to take like three months to... Uh, uh, uh,
2: yeah yeah Yeah. well i think you know sometimes you see this i mean you don't have that particular bell and whistle in the standard care i think it's already quite full of bells and whistles and you have to be careful in customizing it Um, but the other um, provision that you sometimes see which this one is missing is is a condition precedent so and you know, conditions precedent are, are more relevant where you've got a situation where the investor says, "Okay, this looks good. I'll sign, but I'm not going to give you my money just yet. I've got a few conditions precedent. I need to go home. Mm-hmm. I need to check with my my spouse." <laughs> 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 uh, or you know, more usually it will it will be, "Oh, you've got you know, I know you're going through this restructuring, and your you know, Singapore going to be a hold co, and it's going to hold all the shares and." you know, a uh, subsidiary in Indonesia or somewhere else. Okay, once that's done, you know, because I'm not giving putting money into just a shell company, I'm putting in money into a company which just is in a real business, right? So once that's done, I'll put my money in, in which case you might have uh, additional provision around conditions precedent.
1: Got it, okay. Yeah. That's where the value of conditions precedents come in. If you've got some stipulations, you can put them in. And uh, and then it's up to the founder and the investor to agree uh, what goes in there and what their what their expected obligations are on each side.
2: Yeah. And depending on how far you get, I mean, you know, with all of these provisions, you can have it with greater precision, which usually means small words, or you can kind of have it, you, you can have it less precise. So some of the more precise provisions might also Provide for well a long stop date. It might say, well, if these conditions present aren't satisfied by a particular time, then you know all bets are off. This this agreement just terminates. Mm-hmm. You're not getting my money, but then I I can't come ask you for shares later on if you do have an equity financing. Yeah, yeah,
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I was going to say initially when I was looking at the Vima uh, framework, I thought. Uh, because we have Vima now, maybe uh, startups don't really need to engage a lawyer's services. But after hearing you <laughs> and you know all of these little fine tuning that needs to be done, it's clear that you still need uh, legal advice when you're going about uh, navigating all of this.
2: If you want to do it to that that degree of precision, so I'm not trying to talk my profession out of a job, but I think where I see from a practical point of view, I, I think. Um, it tends to be the lead investors who will look at this very, very carefully. And, um, and I like um, Osman's um, you know, insistence on the MFN clause. Um, and um, perhaps, perhaps that might help investors who are putting in smaller amounts of money you know, to get comfortable with things. Otherwise, you can see, well, and if I were advising a startup, I would say try to keep this consistent. You know, don't agree yeah. all sorts of bells and whistles with one and not the other. And it's just, it's not worth the small amounts of money because then all that money goes into just it's, it's money and, and effort as well. You know, come up with what you think is a fair deal for all of your angel <laughs> investors and then stick to it.
1: <laughs> no, it makes sense.
0: So beyond beyond the the Bima framework, beyond the care agreement. As an angel investor, when we are looking to invest in one of these uh, exciting startups, what else should we be looking at or what should form our due diligence process? What kind of paperwork, what kind of documents should I be looking at and asking the startup for part of due diligence?
2: So I can only speak to legal due diligence and um, you know, some in the accounting profession or some investment bankers might say, oh due diligence is not terribly important um, because the legal due diligence really focuses on some really fundamental um, items at, at, at the startup stage so if you're looking at a startup and it's really got a concept perhaps it's testing out a concept and um it hasn't got very much you know say it's maybe a year old you know from a legal perspective i guess you'd want to check out, you know, check off the fundamental items. So you'd want to ensure that the cap table is as they say it is, um, that, you know, they haven't issued a whole lot more shares and actually your proportion of the company is going to be a lot smaller than you thought. So check out the cap table and you might do some searches on Accra to figure out, um, you know, what, what the cap table is at this point in time. Of course, it, you know, doesn't tell you much about what it's going to look like later on. Um, you might ensure that the company actually exists um, and you can do aqua searches for that. Uh, you might, you know, potentially if you're worried about litigation, you might um, have a lawyer help you with some litigation searches to see if any claims have made it to court. You know, if you think the, the startup actually has IP, it may be or you think actually the founder has been working on this for a while now I and there is IP, there's there is intellectual property, there are some assets. I want to make sure that actually all of that IP belongs to the company I'm investing in, not just the founder, right? And so you might have a look at that. But I'm not sure to what extent angel investors look at that. I certainly know, I mean, acting for VCs um and lead investors, they will certainly do so. You know, I, I'm sure you can always ask that question. And if you've got a very organized startup, maybe they've got You know, a Google Drive full of documents that they're, you know, providing to all investors. So that's what I might look out for.
0: So, from from what I'm hearing, you need to take a look at the cap table. You need to take a look at how new the company is, whether it truly is uh, is a startup on Accra, and uh, taking a look, asking a lawyer if there's any uh, legal themes being made again.
2: Yeah. Or, 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 potentially ask, um, you know, perhaps one of the other investors has also asked and the startup has, um, produced a litigation search. The litigation search will be as at a particular date, perhaps you can, you can ask about that. Or you might say, gosh, they only started two months ago. How much litigation can there be <laughs> against the company, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, this has been really fascinating just for for me specifically because I come across this paperwork a lot and we always, both Razi and myself, get asked this question all the time. Uh, You know, what does the terminology within this document mean? But what you've gone through here has just really helped um, flesh out some of that with good examples and and I found that really useful. And at least we can go back to the VEMA framework. And there's a document as well on there. Uh, I think it's called Lexicon, um, which goes through all the different terminology and what it actually means. And I'd recommend that to anybody watching to go and have a look at at that and and have a look at um, what that what that actually means. Now, there's the model legal documents uh, link uh, below, and what you can do is go there. There's a lot of lexicon documentation, which will go through all of those. Uh, I think we've covered off the, the major points here. Um, you know, we've at least gone through how a care agreement or a safe note should should look like and what should, should be in there and what, sh- you know, uh, if there are anything taken out. I think the key point that you brought out, Faith, was that even if people take something out, it's not to be construed as a negative or, or seen as, as somebody trying to, to swindle you out of, out of your rights. It's more around keeping the document as simple as possible, making it as standard as possible, and, and making it um, easy to read and easy to execute. Uh, I think that's the key, key point I'm taking away from, from some of the comments that you made here as well
2: yes, and and that's right. And sort of you know the the startup sort of customizing it because there's there's really quite a, a, a few belts and the souls in the care.
0: yeah, yeah. And the question also is, um faith, if any one of these startups who are watching and listening to, to this particular episode if they want to get in touch with you, how best can they uh, reach out to FS law and yourself?
2: oh, you're you're very kind. Um, we are. Uh, we're on a Google search. Um, so, you know, we've got a website, um, and, um, you know, please do feel free to link in with me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, and, um, you know, my my details are on our website.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Faith. And thank you for spending time with us uh, for this particular episode and bringing us through all of these uh, legalities and helping us become a bit less clueless about the BMAR framework and also what is a care and a safe document.
2: Uh, no, thank you for the opportunity and you know, it's actually, I I think this um, this is mistitled because you're both very clued in capitalists.
0: <laughs> we are slowly becoming the, less, the, the increasingly less clueless capitalists, that will happen over time. but. Thank you so much for spending time with us and for everyone who's been watching, if you enjoyed this particular episode, please remember to like, comment and subscribe and we'll see you in a future episode.